Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We are walking you through the flames. This week, the debate is all about Kate Smith, a singer known for her rendition of God Bless America. Well, she got canceled. It was so abrupt. It was guillotine swift. Did the Flyers overreact after learning of her link to racist music? You know, the signs and symbols sometimes become very polarizing. Where is the line when it comes to muting America's racist past? Then he gives free haircuts for the homeless. So when police tried to stop him, the video went viral. I wasn't going to shut down until he gave me some type of information. What happened and the driving force behind this headline-making humanitarian? We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome back to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the Kate Smith controversy. Two sports teams have banned the singer's timeless hit from their games more than three decades after her death. God Bless America was used to raise roughly $600 million for the World War II effort, and she was awarded a Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1983. But Smith also recorded songs like Pickin' Any Heaven, and That's Why Darkies Were Born. And when the Yankees and later the Flyers found out, they took action. The Flyers even removed her statue. So was their reaction a point for race relations or was it simply tone deaf? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Chad Dion Lasseter. He's a race relations expert who's also the executive director of the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission. We also have Lou Scheinfeld. He's the former vice president of the Flyers. Finally, we have Jennifer Flieger. She's an associate professor of media and communication studies at Ursinus College. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having us. Lou, I want to start with you. You actually played the Kate Smith rendition of God Bless America at a Flyers game. First person to do it. Became a good luck charm. Now she's been removed. Your reaction? It's been quite a week. December 11th, 1969, I decided to play God Bless America because I found that at Flyers games, people weren't paying much attention to the national anthem. They were sitting, talking, eating, even those days, smoking in their seat. And I thought, maybe I'll play another song and shake them up. Well, I played it that day. And by some miracle, the Flyers beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. They scored, they hit, they won. It was so exciting. People said, why don't you play it again? So over the years, it became quite a good luck charm. Now she's gone. The song is gone. The statue's gone. Uh, The Yankees have dismissed her. The Flyers have abruptly uh, removed her. My feeling is, I think there could have been a little more civil discourse before all that happened, but that's where we are today. Chad, a lot of people, when they found out about this history... From years, decades and decades ago, they were offended. Explain what exactly offended people. And then I got to ask you, did the Flyers make the right decision? I think the historical aspect is that some of the things that we're learning from that period of time are now finding themselves in in, our, in the place that we're in now. So not only just God Bless America with, with Kate Smith, but also she uh, wrote and sang the song, That's Why Darkies Were Born, and Pick a Nanny Heaven. And so I think it was very offensive, uh, given the context of what we've come to find out. 
Um, I'm not so certain if that's the feelings that she, you know, felt at that time. Um, there are some reports that a lot of her family members said that she was a yeah, unifier, yeah, yeah. that she didn't have a prejudiced bone in her body. And so I'm not here to talk about that. But I'm here to simply say that we know that some of the signs and symbols in our democracy have been challenging for a lot of people, even our white allies. And so the removal of the statue, the Phillies will still survive. They'll still win some games. The but Flyers, it was The, the yeah. Flyers, excuse me, will still survive. And so will the, the New York Yankees. But it was the right decision to, to make. She didn't write those songs. She just she recorded didn't. them. And it was among 3,000 songs she recorded. And we were asked when this came up in the past week, didn't the Flyers ever look into all her songs? I said she recorded 3,000 songs. We really had no knowledge of it. In all fairness, the Flyers didn't know when she became the good luck charm that all this existed. And so, Jennifer, I mean, jumping in, you've written about Kate Smith. She did a lot of great things in addition to these songs that when we read the lyrics, clearly the there's racist lyrics there. Absolutely. But it's important to remember that the history of American popular music is itself full of racist songs and racist lyrics. You would be hard-pressed to find a white singer in the beginning of the 20th century who did not perform racist songs. For example, American popular entertainment in the 19th century was rooted in a concept of minstrelsy, in which people dressed up in blackface like African Americans and mocked them with stereotypical roles. This then develops into American folk music, um, For example, Oh Susanna and I've Been Working on the Railroad both have racist verses in them. Um, American popular music and the American songbook is full of composers and singers who wrote racist songs. In fact, Irving Berlin, the composer of God Bless America, wrote a song called Nighttime in Dixieland, which has some of the same terms that are in the songs that Kate Smith sings. So I don't think it's useful to condemn Kate Smith in particular. I think it's a great opportunity for us to look at the history of American popular song and think about why it's so full of these kinds of characterizations. Yeah, and I would say that I don't think anyone's condemning Kate Smith, but when you talk about that period of time, you also had D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. Fast forward to the contemporary time, that's pretty much the psyche of some white police officers where they don't see the humanity of black and brown people. They render them um, from an oppressive state, marginalized state, render them non-person, non-entity. The catalog speaks to 3,000 songs, but the two that we know are very, very polarizing along racial lines, and that becomes offensive in in our democracy. And I got to read the part of the flyer statement And Lou, I want to address this question to you. They issued a statement. They said, in part, we cannot stand idle while material from another era gets in the way of who we are today. Have the flyers changed in some way? Was there any issue that they felt like keeping the Kate Smith song in place, keeping her statute in place would somehow be a bad reflection of who they are today versus in 1969 when the song first got played? Well, first of all, I think it's really unfair that the flyers are in the the crosshairs. Flyers had nothing to do with the decision. It was made by the corporate people above them, uh, the CFOs and the account, the uh, lawyers who now run the organization. And uh, they are PC. Comcast is PC. and Politically correct, y'all. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have – they really didn't have much choice. But to yank her song hours after the Yankees did and then cover the statue, that was grotesque in black tarp and, and rope. Uh, come on. Once they covered it, they had to remove it. So now it's gone, and everybody keeps saying, where is it? Why don't they give it to somebody? Why don't they sell it for charity? That statue is where Joe Paterno's statue is. It's not going to be seen for a long time. And I, and I will say that she was one of the few women who had a statue in Philadelphia. She was also a fat woman, which is important to remember. And thinking about the role models that women and girls mm-hmm. have for female icons, Kate Smith is a woman who wasn't thin, who was able to do all kinds of things in her career. She was a radio host 
1931 before it was possible for a lot of people to listen to women's voices and think of them as trustworthy. Yeah, I think that's a key point. I'm glad that you verbalized that. But I I don't want us to have so much empathy and sympathy for Kate uh, vis-a-vis, you know, people who have experienced, you know, the signs and symbols like the Confederate flag, uh, the Rizzo statue here in Philadelphia, multiple other signs and symbols that sometimes become very polarizing and they traumatize people. And then sometimes people suffer a vicarious traumatization because of the trauma that has gone unacknowledged and unchecked in our democracy. And I I had to ask this question and I want you guys to weigh in because just this week, a Detroit Red Wings player had to hire security, black player, because of racial slurs that he experiences during games. The principle is hockey is for everyone. But we've heard and we've seen players of color experience racism at games. It's sort of like dealing with this issue in such a robust manner, this way sending a signal to people who may treat folks in this way after learning of this Absolutely. I think in that case they made the right decision because there's zero tolerance uh, in sports, in business, uh, and and the the only good thing that's come out of this is that we can talk about it. Yeah. And the fact that those words and those songs are repulsive. Mm-hmm. Today they are repulsive. Back then, 90 years ago, 80 years ago, a lot of us weren't around. But today that is really terrible. And I think in that respect, they made the right decision. Yeah. But I would also say that the generational trauma of us not being around is still with us today. So when you look at those words, they were repulsive then. Someone had to pick the cotton. Someone had to plant the corn. Someone had to slave and and be able to sing. That's why darkies were born. No matter what era we're in, the humanity of black people at that time and the humanity of black people this time always seems to be non-person, non-entity, not by some white, I mean all whites, but some whites. And so we definitely need to figure out a place that we can place the statue where we can recognize her womanhood, her contributions to the democracy. But it's similar to how in the city of Philadelphia we had a statue of Rocky Balboa who was not a real hero. And then we didn't have one uh, of Joe Frazier until Governor Rendell decided let's raise some money for, for, for Joe Frazier's statue. These signs and symbols are deeply rooted in white privilege to me. And I do want to put this in context. And, I, and, that's, and that's a fair crit- critique, I think. Um, I think what Lou is saying is fair, too. But I also want to kind of let's rewind this back to 19, the 1930s when these songs were recorded. Kate Smith was born in 1907. She was in her 20s, a woman. Um, and satire was the way. Was this sort of like, I mean, was it, was it kind of like everybody was doing it? It's You know, it's like if you take a nude photo as a young woman and it being held against you years, years, years later or whatever. Yeah. I think two things here. One, I think Chad is absolutely right when he talks about the context of the time. Yes. It's true that in 1914, since you brought up Birth of the Nation, there were plenty of people in 1914 who recognized that Birth of a Nation was a racist film and protested Mm -hmm. it. So it's not like no one in 1930 had any idea that Mm -hmm. these songs had racist lyrics. Um, I forgot what I was going to say next. Yeah. Oh, you asked us. To show you the tone of those days, uh, yeah, the tone, it was yeah. considered satire, the one song, against white supremacy. In fact, Paul Robeson, uh, the great African-American singer, Civil rights leader, recorded yeah. it as well. So I, my feeling is what was then is not today. And to take something and wipe it from – literally wipe it off the face of the earth – I think that's wrong. Well, I don't think, Lou, that you wipe it off the face of the earth because we know that it still exists. We still know how powerful that song was. We're having this teachable moment. It's similar to Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn when there was an argument to remove the N-word. No, the N-word and and Huckleberry Finn needed to stay in there simply because that was the historical context of that time. The statue, though, we're talking about signs and symbols, so we don't escape any of the work that Kate Smith did 
um, and the things that she meant to to the United States of America and else, elsewhere. But the sign and the symbols are something that I think are, are becoming an argument that people are just saying, let's have a conversation about it. Like when you look at Frank Rizzo's statue, you can ask an equal number of African-Americans who did not see Frank Rizzo. But Frank Rizzo's statue was not ripped out and, and in the middle of the night or whatever and it's taken still, down. It's still and, there because and, Mayor Kenny dug in his heels and said, let's study it. Let's Maybe find a better place to put it. So you're talking Meanwhile, about the process, there. and maybe the process of what the flyers, um, how they went about doing this, may could have been and, and, part of a and, conversation. And, and, and Jen, Jennifer, you want to jump in here? Yeah, I think you have to think of the context of each individual statue that we're yeah. talking about, because mm-hmm. the Kate Smith statue is not similar to statues um, erected for Civil War heroes from the South. Mm-hmm. It, she's not been put up for the same reason. She doesn't have the same cultural value. It, it's true. It may be that if people become traumatized by seeing her statue, then absolutely we should rethink its value. But it's not fair to equate all such statues. Yeah. I'm a little more emotional about it because I knew Kate Smith. I brought her to Philadelphia four Mm -hmm. times uh, to sing before a Flyers game. The crowds were just going crazy. No one had any idea of of, uh, this hint of the background. And she came to the Flyers parades and she she was actually reborn by the Flyers because when I brought her in, uh, most people thought she was gone passed away because her career had pretty much uh, ended. So she was reborn. She raised over $600 million for, for World the, War II with mm-hmm. war bonds. And, um, which would have been equivalent to about one Which is why she got the Presidential today. Medal right. of yeah. Freedom yeah. because of the work she did during World War II. But I, I also think that it's important to notice that if you look at her catalog, you will find more such songs. On the radio, on one of her programs, she sang a song called Dr. Lawyer Indian Chief. This song has a, a rather unfortunate reference to a tomahawk in it. So it's yeah. not it's not useful to dissect the lyrics of these two songs and pretend that these were two key instances in her career. It's true that many, many, many popular singers were singing such songs and recycling such songs. They and weren't her song. Kate Smith's family came out against the Flyers. They were appalled. Do you think it's the way that the Flyers did it that may have hurt the family? I mean, she was the good luck charm. And then all of a sudden, within two days, boom, bam, bam, she's gone. Wiper from face. Sorry, 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 Kate. Right. Well, plus she was an American hero, a patriot. And, and add it to the Flyers' uh, aura. They could have given it a little more thought. You know, 24 hours maybe, 36 hours, and talk to the public. Uh, I'm not saying they should take a poll or a vote, but it was so abrupt. It was so quick. It, it was guillotine swift. Yeah, and I think the rush to judgment that we see in this era – Instead of lending pauls, cancel be, culture. Yeah, yeah, lending pauls and just maybe you know realizing that hey, maybe there's another way that we can do this. But I still think that the removal of the statue does not erase the things that she contributed to the democracy. Your op-ed piece emerges. The things that you stated the other day on CNN emerges, and we can learn more about who this woman is. The things that you're saying here this morning are eye-opening. That we can see her with her multiple identities and the intersectionality of gender and race, and, and I think that's powerful. And I think that's why. I want to throw this question because if you think about it, where is the line then? If everybody was doing this and every singer, most of the singers from that period, a lot of the films from that period, can we banish everything? Where's the line? And you, and I want y'all to weigh in on that. I don't think we should banish everything, but that doesn't mean that the statue should stay. I think we have to think about these things in a case-by-case basis. My concern is that if people see folks as reactionary, as, ban- as the idea that what we're doing is banishing everything, then we won't be able to have a reason conversation about issues that really matter. So that taking the time with each of these instances to really have a public discussion about what she stood for or what the individual in each case stood for 
what the particular incident means to the public is important in making sure that we're not just more cancel culture. And I have more of a problem with the rap songs today, which maybe 50 years from now or 90 years ago, like Kate Smith, will be considered deplorable. Demonizing women, the police, authority, the N-word, endlessly. It's To me, it, that is also should be in the discussion. And I wonder if the snap judgment, we'll be right it was back. easy. It cost nothing to just rip her down and take all the music. I mean, comment on that. Where's the line? Yeah, because I, if it if, if it cost them, if it cost tons of money to do this, do you think it would have got done? Yeah. Well, I don't know where you draw the line. The context of her womanhood, the very core of her humanity, I think a lot of things should have gone into consideration. And I think I echo the same sentiments as, as our colleagues here. I'm disturbed about the rap culture. I'm disturbed about, you know, the cancel culture and, and the fact that we don't give people an opportunity to actually emerge to simply say this is what I actually meant. But I'm also concerned with the oligarchs and the pollutocrats who are on Wall Street who have, you know, continued to steal from the democracy and they still get higher bonuses and things of that nature. So I think there's a, a both and reality here. I um, and I think we definitely need to do something about discourse um, and not rushing to judgment. And I got to I got to switch gears a little bit because I, I, I touched on this. But was sort of kicking Kate Smith to the curb, was it just an easy, you know, was she just a scapegoat here? Because the Rizzo statue is still up. The Redskins are still called the Redskins. And there are buildings and statues named after people who probably (coughs) did far, far worse than sing a couple, a few songs with racist lyrics. Why haven't those people gotten the same treatment as Kate Smith? Well, Kate Smith's a woman and it's easy. And also the the kind of taking away her body from the public image echoes a lot of the treatment of her body by the press. She was routinely mocked for her weight by the popular press at the time, by her colleagues in her Broadway plays. After her death, the New York Times obituary of Kate Smith mentioned her mastectomy and her the amputation of her leg before it mentioned any of her career achievements. After her death... Her body wasn't interred for 17 months because she wanted a mausoleum and the cemetery couldn't build one and there was a big conflict over it. So it seems like she's had no resting place and no and part of the disturbance for me in the removal of the statue has to do with the, the public discussion of her body over time. What women were at the table to make that decision to Kate's point, because if it's still the decisions being made with all due respect by males from that phenomenon of Mel, Stell and Pell, then how, who are men with their fragility, their toxic masculinity and their male privilege to tell us about the spaces of, of, of white female bodies or just bodies white of women. general women white women. Bodies. Yeah, women, women bodies. bodies. Exactly. Women but in this case, hate, but you, uh, Kate, uh, but you're absolutely right, Sherry. So I would like to know, like, was, was it a combination of individuals who sat at the table or was the brass we just male? Well, we'll never know that. Wow. But, but um, I don't think it made any difference whether it was a woman or man. The issue was so strong and so politically sensitive that mm. they, if it was a man statue, it would, be, would have been gone. It's easy to do something that doesn't cost anything versus if the Kate Smith statue was tied to a, a, a $10 million. Yeah. I wonder if these, the decision would have been we the same. We are going to keep singing God Bless America. Irving Berlin wrote a lot of racist songs. I think that's an answer right there. Well, not only that, the um, when he gave that song to Kate Smith, uh, he had written it in 1917 and put it in a drawer because he didn't think it had any place. And she came to him during the uh, early, early war. And, that- and, and she said, do you have a, a patriotic song I could sing for the troops? And he said, I'll give you this with one proviso that any royalties – Go to the Boy Scouts and now the Girl Scouts. This song has raised millions and millions and millions. So it should still be sung. It's not true that she sang it for the troops, though. It was 1938. Oh, on, we were involved in the, the conflict. Radio, yet. She did during the not war. during the premiere. She premiered on Armistice no, no, Day on November 10th, 1938. 
okay. as time went by. But that's not why she asked yeah. for the song. And the Flyers is still going to win games, and her history is not going to be wiped out with regards to her medal. But would it be fair, since the man who wrote the song wrote a lot of racist songs? I mean, since we're basically banishing Kate Smith for a handful of songs that were racist, shouldn't we be banning the man who wrote God Bless America and ban the songs? And all the He wrote tons of racist songs. How far should we go? I mean, it just com- seems like it would be fair to take it to him, too. It's well, what about the er- all the early presidents who had slaves? I First mean, 15. Washington, Jefferson, you name them. What do we do about all the statues and the cities named after them? And that's, and that's what, you know, Chad, I'm going to press you on this because Kate seems like she's getting B-slapped for this. Should it be more, should we B-slap more people? Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. We, we won't slap them, but I think they're, they're, they're I, I get your point. I think there needs to be a, a, a true critique because if you look at the, th- the fact that the mere fact that the first 15 presidents of the United States of America owned slaves, we need to look at those things. We need to look at Woodrow Wilson in context and the school that's named after him um, down at uh, Princeton University. Uh, I know that Brown University and some of the Ivies have begun to do real in-depth studies on the impact that slavery had had on building those universities. So yeah. I think we need to look at those things. But beyond the statues, we also need to look at the policies that still are in place with people who still have that mindset. Yeah, yeah. And so the mere fact that, you know, Lou art- articulated that people weren't standing for the national anthem and you fast forward to the contemporary moment and people are now acting as if they've always stood for the national anthem. And when Colin Kaepernick decided to kneel, which was a peaceful gesture, we're saying that he's disrespecting the flag. And then Lou comes on this wonderful show with this wonderful host, Sherry, who's invited us here this morning. And we find out in context, people were smoking during the national anthem. Smiled as well. I mean, yeah. history they is should, They amazing. should be banned. They should be banned. <laughs> so, but because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. Race is an issue in America, and many believe that now is the time for this country to deal with its past, to finally confront racism and white supremacy. So is Kate Smith simply a rightful casualty of this war against racism? Collateral damage. That's what she is. And the flyers are caught in the crosshairs of a controversy they didn't deserve or didn't expect. I think she's an opportunity for us to have a broader conversation that it's about time we have about American culture. I end by simply saying it's been a teachable moment for me. I think that I've learned more about what she contributed to the democracy. And I think that the Phillies should have lent pause and maybe brought some more intellectual property to the table before they made the decision. Nevertheless, it's the decision that they've made and we should still continue to have the conversation. Wonderful. Well, I just want to say thank you to Chad Dion Lassiter. Thank you to Lou Scheinfeld. And thank you to Jennifer Flieger for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Next up, he was cutting a homeless man's hair when video of his encounter with police went viral. He made phone calls. I threatened to make some phone calls as well. The driving force behind one of Philly's most popular headline-making humanitarians. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. And one thing that gets residents in our region hot under the collar is obstacles to doing good work. Well, the video of one man being questioned by police while trying to give free haircuts for homeless men, well, it went viral. While he wasn't cited or arrested by police, people came out stumping for 
Jawan Jones, a.k.a. Haircut for Homeless on IG. His story has been featured in People Magazine and in national blogs. Jawan captured hearts from around the city, then the country, for his mission, which is to bring dignity to those who many forget. Jawan, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. So, first of all, we're in the middle of Broad Street near Walnut right now. We've never done this. I'm just glad to be back out here after having some rain, so I'm just... Looking forward to what the day has to offer. So folks who have never heard about what you do, tell, explain. You set up shop. Tell us what you do. I started this in January of 2017. Mm-hmm. One day I just wanted to go out and do something cool for the homeless. I went out and gave a few haircuts that day. Before you know it, it went viral. 2.4 million views in 16 hours. I quit my job literally uh, maybe a week or so later, and I've been out here ever since. Setting up a makeshift barbershop and giving haircuts to the homeless. So you literally bring a chair and grooming products, some clippers, a cape, and you get to work. What does a haircut do for someone who's Uh, falling on hard times? When I get a haircut, it just brightens my day. I feel like I conquered the world. I look good, so I feel good. And it's the same way for these guys. Oftentimes we forget about the fact that they're human. So even for them... Especially with their circumstances, they get a haircut, they feel as though you know they can make it out of homelessness. They feel as though they their dignity, their their pride and everything is is is, is, is back to normal just for the moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and your story uh, has been national for quite some time, as you mentioned. Yeah. And then your the video of you being questioned by police while doing your work. Tell us what happened that day. An officer approached me and uh, told me I had to shut down what I was doing. I was on my fifth head. Uh, I had already been out for two hours. Mm-hmm. Told me I had to shut down because he received a call from a sergeant, and that was about it. Didn't uh, give me any other reason why. So I told him that I wasn't going to shut down until he gave me some type of information. You know, yeah. what I mean? the sergeant's badge number or the, his name or something of that sort. He made phone calls. I threatened to make some phone calls as well. And the end result was just clean up the hair when I'm done. Which is something that I do anyway. But I felt like it's, it's some other issues that's brewing that I don't really know about because yeah. they won't release any information other than the, the statement that they did release which I felt wasn't a great sta- uh, yeah. statement. And, and just so folks know, the police uh, department said they didn't cite you or arrest you, that they had gotten some uh, complaints about the hair and that once you said you would clean it up, they were fine with that. Again, I think that the statement was, was bogus. I have the utmost respect for law enforcement, but at the same time, I do understand that there's proper protocol and, and, and there's rules and regulations. And if somebody did indeed Paul, complain, yeah. I get that. But if that was the case, the officer would have stated that when he approached me. But this isn't the first time. I mean, you've had some incidents before when you first got started. Yeah, I had an incident with uh, licensing and inspection. Their uh, reasons for wanting me to shut down was a little more easier to understand. The uh, mayor did step in, and he helped me out with that situation, and I haven't had any issues out of them since I started, which was, again, three years ago. So this was the first incident since 2017. Wow. So it hasn't been people just kind of know you now, and that's kind of what you do. Yeah, yeah. So you've done it at City Hall. You've you've actually traveled the country now bringing uh, this type of dignity to folks. Yeah, so I started something called the Cuts of Compassion Tour. It started off as a one-day event providing clothing, toiletries, food, and a bunch of other stuff. Just a fun day for the homeless. And the event did so well, I decided to take it on tour. 
So we do 13 cities from April to September. No grants, no loans or anything from the state. I'm not a nonprofit. Everything I do, I do strictly from my pocket. And we just go out and we spread love. And the tour actually started two weeks ago. So we're approaching our third stop for the 2019 tour. So you're going to be traveling the country basically doing this. Why the homeless? You could be working with little kids. You could be working with old folks and seniors. I mean, why, why the homeless specifically? I mean, uh, well, the thing that resonated with me with the homeless, I'm not from Philadelphia, and when I moved here, I retired from barbering, and I was working in Center City, and on my daily walk to work, I will always see, you know, a lot of homeless individuals, and one that stuck out was a gentleman. He just looked like he could use a haircut, or he just looked like, you know, he needed something to boost his self-esteem. So when I went home and I thought about it, I said I didn't want to go out and feed him because you have Sunday breakfast who do, does that. You have organizations that provide him with clothing. I had some clippers laying around, and it, it was my wife who said, well, why don't you go out and give some haircuts? And I thought about it for a second, and I said, you know what, that's a great idea, and that's what I did. You actually got a free barbershop. I hooked you up with a location a while back. How's that going? Well, I no longer have the barbershop. Uh, it was supposed to be free. That's what I was told. As time went on, things didn't work out. So I no longer have the barbershop, which I'm glad I don't have the barbershop because it was hard getting the guys to the barbershop because of where it was located. And I like for them to be in their comfort zone. So it, for me, it feels better being outside where they are compared to having them shelter in the barbershop. Fund this. I mean, because this is not cheap. You got, you know, I know you got family. Do you raise money? And and why don't you have a 501c3? This could be people would donate to this. I do um, receive donations and things like that from people on Instagram and social media. My wife has a, a business of her own. And a lot of times, I will say it's not easy. Uh, it is extremely hard. I have five children. It's hard, but I just rely on my faith. My faith is really why I started this to begin with, and I believe that my faith will can help me continue this mission. This is really God's work. It's, I'm just the faith that he chose to carry out the mission. I'm not a 501c3 because I feel as though a lot of people get the funding and they get money from all these companies, and they don't do right by it. So I decided to do it backwards. If I would come out and do the work first, then it'd be easier to show people this is where your money is going compared to getting the money and then got to convince them where the money is going. So I'm, I'm actually thinking about it now, but we've been doing well three years. We've been doing extremely well. So right now, I don't really feel as though that I need to become a 501c3 because it's not about the money with us. It will help, but it's really not about the money. What is your vision for this? I mean, you're doing a tour. You are out here. What's your vision? Will it continue? What Will it morph into something else? I believe it will continue. I'm just based off of how it's been going so far and other barbers in other states that have been reaching out, asking for the blueprint. They want to do it there. So my five-year plan is actually to open up a homeless shelter slash resource center right here in the city of Philadelphia and still continue the haircuts for Homeless thing. I want to do a national tour, which I'm doing now, and eventually an international tour, going to other countries. Homelessness is everywhere, but love is not. So let's go everywhere and spread love and spread love what a message so how can people uh support you follow you um you know they see you out here so they just roll up slide you a 20 what what, what should people do 
I mean, yeah, I, I'm never in the same spot, but, you know, people can follow me on social media at Haircut, the number four homeless on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you see me out, you're more than welcome to come out. You can volunteer on the tour, however you see fit. Again, it's not about the money. Just retweeting or reposting a picture or something of that sort. That's good enough support for me. So I'm not going to keep you uh, from doing what you do, but I want to say to you, Jawan Jones, thank you so much for coming on Flashpoint and, you know, for doing a little bit of good in this world. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Next up, she makes mocktails for mingling. I deserve something better. So does everybody else. The woman behind the culture shifting idea that's making non-drinkers feel more included. We'll be right back. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames. On air Saturday evenings at 9.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to check out the Flashpoint podcast by logging on to Radio.com or other platforms. Just search Flashpoint KYW. And we here at KYW, we're all about community. And I have to tell you about this woman. She's a San Diego native who moved across the country. She quit her job and quit drinking. She set out to create a healthy and delicious alternative to alcohol, one that can make you feel accepted at corporate events and while you're guests. Here to tell us more is founder of Mingle Mocktails, Laura Taylor. Laura, welcome to Flashpoint. Well, thanks so much for having me, Cherry. It's an honor to be here. So for folks who haven't heard about Mingle Mocktails, what is the concept? Whether it's a neighborhood barbecue or a business conference, alcohol is served. And my experience is when I quit drinking four years ago, my only options was seltzer or soda. So the concept is I deserve something better. So does everybody else. Let's have a light cranberry Cosmo or blackberry hibiscus Bellini. Put it in a beautiful glass and feel part of the party. I love that blackberry hibiscus Bellini. Love it. Love it. Love it. And so could you talk about what inspired you to do this? You mentioned that you quit drinking. Prior to those four years ago of quitting, I found that I was drinking more to escape and, you know, force relaxation as opposed to just being social about it. Combine that with neighborhood girlfriends doing a juice cleanse, I decided, let's do a reset, Laura. And voila, no surprise, I felt better, I slept better, and I was just feeling more clear about my thinking and what I was doing. So I took that as a a sign that I didn't need to drink anymore and decided to do something about it. You know, giving up drinking is like giving up meat in the beginning. You know, you feel kind of on the outside because everybody else is doing it. Yeah, and you know, not only are people not drinking for certain reasons, millennials are drinking less. Younger people are drinking less. And I think there's also awareness as we age. Our bodies process alcohol differently. And I'm not saying stop drinking. I'm saying that, hey, if you'd like to try something lighter as a mocktail or a mixer or accommodate the 35% of adults who don't drink, give them something other than seltzer or soda. Yeah. So my husband's a social drinker. And for instance, he helped me develop the Mingle Moscow Mule. He drinks it without his vodka during the week. And on the weekends, I'll have one of my Mingle mocktails and he'll mix it with vodka. So it goes both ways to really foster social connection. Yeah. And so on one hand, you got 
the alcohol companies who are looking at you like we want more people drinking, not less people drinking. And on the other side, soft drink companies who are like, well, we already have soft drinks. That's why we're already there. Yeah. To me, I have engaged with some very large alcohol distributors. And if they listen to this, hey, call me up. Let's talk. (laughs) But for them, it's incremental business. When people are entertaining, they'll go to you to buy their spirits and wine. And then they'll have to go to the grocery store to buy their seltzer or ginger beer. Why not give them the option to do both in your store? And for the non-alc segments, when you look at the beverage segment, there's really no fun upscale mocktail. And so Mingle brings a new element to that section in grocery stores. And so giving them a healthy, flavorful option is great. And so let's back it up a little bit and talk about you because you're not a Philly native. No. From San Diego. And industrial engineer? What? What? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I was thinking about my past. I've always been extremely laser focused and goal oriented. When I was a kid, I'm like, I'm going to grow up, live in California, and be a businesswoman in the corner office wearing fancy suits. And I mean, I did achieve that. I just moved. From San Diego to Chicago, where I met my husband, and he locked me down. Locked it down, yeah. (laughs) Well, when you start raising a family, you tend to stay where you are. So we raised our kids there for 15 years. And then we had an opportunity with both of our careers to move to Philly. So that took us here. And we've done wonderful things to, to be a part of the community. But eventually, I'd like to get back west. I'll be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you've been able to like make a mark for yourself in Philadelphia. Yeah, it's awesome. And Philly is such a diverse community. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, to me, a perfect place to really land and expand on the East Coast. Yes. And you've been able to make connections with a lot of retailers or food distributors who are able to sell your product in their stores. Yeah, we are seeking more distribution to scale the business, but I have landed a couple distributors in Pennsylvania. I'm talking to a couple alcohol distributors for the state as well. So I've been going direct to retail. I've been selling online on Amazon and MingleMocktails.com, and I'm actively seeking more distributors to grow the brand. Wonderful. And so what makes Mingle Mocktails the thing? First off, I developed this as a drinker who went into non-drinking. So I have a perspective I am health-oriented, I watch my calories, and I don't want to put junk in my body. It's a ready-to-drink, non-alcoholic, upscale cocktail, which is also approachable and accessible. So when you look at the packaging, it's fun and friendly, yet sophisticated. Secondly, unlike mixers, because people think of Mingle as a mixer, try drinking a mixer alone, and I guarantee yeah, it's not tasty. They need alcohol to balance the flavors. Mingle is delightful alone. And it is flexible as a skinny cocktail mixer. And the last thing is the entire 750 milliliter bottle only has 120 calories. So a champagne flute is like 15 calories. I can sip on it all night long. And most importantly, I feel part of the occasion. You can drink a champagne flute and it's only 15 calories is amazing. It, it makes for more room. Like to me, it, it balances out the chocolate and the, <laughs> Bam. the, the cheese. Bam. Right there. You got it. <laughs> yeah. And so where can people, you mentioned your website. So it's available at all McCaffrey stores, three stores downtown, Fresh Grocer, Rittenhouse Market, South Square Market, Carlino's. I've expanded into some shop rights and Bed Bath & Beyond's. I've received the verbal okay for a New York-based chain that is very popular here that starts with a W waiting for that order to come through. 
And worst case scenario, reach out at info at minglemocktails.com. I'm very into interacting with customers who want to get access, and so they can always reach out to me. Wonderful. So I just want to say thank you to founder of Mingle Mocktails, Laura Taylor. You're changing the game when it comes to beverages at events. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Terry. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As American author and playwright James Baldwin once wrote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs> 